0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?
1: and I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. A powerful earthquake hit northwestern Japan over the weekend, followed by more than 50 aftershocks. Ed Baxter has that story and more from the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed.
2: Yeah, you're right, Brian. And officials say there'll probably be more aftershocks. Magnitude 7.6 off the Noto Peninsula. At least four people were killed. uh, Triggered widespread tsunami warning. Now the warning has been eased, but NHK took the alerts very, very seriously. Escape to higher ground and go as far away as possible from the coast. Uh, Now again, that alert has been lifted. Uh, There are six cases of buildings collapsing with people inside. A major fire broke out in the city of Wajima, appearing to spread across several buildings. Johnny Wu was experiencing it. The
1: house also shaking. You can hear those glasses are the windows are shaking. So I'm actually worried about if the uh, electric wire like broken or something, that will be
2: pretty pretty dangerous. But Bloomberg's Isabel Reynolds says authorities are not concerned it will be a repeat of Fukushima.
3: As far as we know, the reports say that um, even though, for example, the one plant a Shika nuclear plant, um, they have been unable to bring in some external electricity supply, but they are still able to continue the cooling process for their spent fuel. So therefore, at this point, we should not see any situation like, uh, thank goodness, like the Fukushima plant um, in 2011.
2: and the alert is out, potentially large aftershocks for the next week or so. Iran has dispatched a warship to the Red Sea after the U.S. Navy destroyed three Houthi boats. This, of course, ratchets up tensions in the area, complicates getting a safe passageway for cargo through the Red Sea. NSC spokesman John Kirby says the U.S. does not want war. We
4: don't seek a conflict uh, wider in the region. We certainly aren't looking for a conflict with the Houthis. Uh, the best outcome here would be for the Houthis to stop these attacks, as we, as we have made clear, over and over again
2: Congressman Mike Turner though the House Intelligence Committee chair says the Biden administration needs
5: to toughen up this really though is the is the Iran issue i mean the houthis uh, hezbollah hamas are all uh, you know satellites funded trained um, by uh, iran itself um, this administration has been very timid in responding to escalations by Iran.
2: Uh, running alongside this, Iran is now saying that it's open to fresh talks about its nuclear program. Statement says a diplomatic environment to hold a new round of talks still exists. Israel is downsizing its force in Gaza, says it's entering the next phase of the war. It is pulling five brigades in coming days, shifting to what it says are more targeted operations. This after almost three months of combat. The numbers, well, several thousand troops going out, it says it is is in control of northern Gaza. Meanwhile, Israel's prime uh, Supreme Court has overturned a highly contested law aimed at weakening the justice's own power. Uh, this is a major loss for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu his and his right-wing coalition. The ruling held that the amendment in question causes severe and unprecedented harm to the core characteristics of Israel as a democratic state. Global News, 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Brian.
1: Thanks very much, Ed. Brian Curtis and Doug Krisner and our colleague uh, Paul Allen will join from Sydney a little bit later in the hour. Let's take a look at the top business stories of the hour now. BYD may just have overtaken Tesla as the world leader in EV sales. Bloomberg's Joanne Wong has more from Hong Kong.
0: BYD sold more than 526,000 fully electric vehicles in the fourth quarter. This may be enough to overtake Tesla as the world's biggest seller of fully electric EVs. In total, BYD sold over 3 million units in 2023. Its full-year volumes were almost as much as its EV and hybrid sales over the previous five years combined. The rapid growth has put BYD into the top 10 ranking of global car sales for the first time. Tesla will need a record showing to maintain its number one status when it unveils sales figures on Tuesday. in Hong Kong Joanne Wong Bloomberg Radio.
5: Well, speaking of Tesla, tomorrow we are expected to get an announcement on another record year in terms of delivery. We have that story from Bloomberg's Denise Pellegrini. The Austin-based EV maker is estimated to have handed over almost 483,200 vehicles in the fourth quarter, according to analysts surveyed by Bloomberg, and that would mean Tesla probably exceeded its goal to deliver a record 1.8 million cars last year. This would be thanks in large part due to die-hard Elon Musk fans and tech-savvy early adopters. The record, though, is just a fraction of what Toyota or General Motors normally sell, meaning for its next phase of growth, Tesla has to win over everyday buyers who primarily select vehicles based on more mundane qualities, things like price or ease of use. Denise Pellegrini, Bloomberg Radio.
1: So both companies are likely with the record, but sales of EVs in the United States could lose some speed now after the government issued new rules for a tax credit. Bloomberg Sarah Livesey has more.
0: New rules from the Biden administration take effect today, and they reduce the number of EV models eligible for a $7,500 consumer tax credit. The total number is now 13. That's down from about two dozen. Under the new rules, vehicles using battery components from Chinese manufacturers don't qualify for the credit. In 2025, restrictions are set to expand to include suppliers of raw battery materials, including lithium and nickel. The U.S. Treasury Department has been coordinating closely with automakers on the new restrictions. Tesla's Model Y and Ford's F-150 Lightning Pickup are among the vehicles still eligible. I'm Sarah Libsey, Bloomberg Radio.
5: Well, the Dutch chipmaking equipment firm, ASML, has canceled a number of machine chipments to China. Now, this decision was made at the request of the Biden administration, and it comes week before... Export bans on advanced chip-making equipment are set to go into effect. ASML had licenses to ship three deep ultraviolet lithography machines to some firms in China. Now, those licenses are active until later this month when Dutch export restrictions are to take full effect. However, we are told National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan asked ASML to immediately halt pre-scheduled shipments. It's not immediately clear how many of the devices were involved. By the way, these devices can cost tens of millions
1: of dollars apiece. Brian? Well, President Xi Jinping has pledged to strengthen China's economic recovery after a tough year. Bloomberg's Bonnie Au with that story from Hong Kong.
2: The president gave a rare admission of a difficult 2023 during his annual New Year's address. He said there have been domestic headwinds facing the country, but he pledged to strengthen economic momentum and job creation. China's youth unemployment hit a record high over the summer before the government stopped publishing figures. She said the government's goal is delivering a better life for the people. China is entering a pivotal period as policymakers try to boost growth, stabilise a crisis in the property market and prevent deflation. Beijing is expected to target a growth goal of around 5% again in 2024.
0: In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie L. Bloomberg Radio.
1: Mark Matthews joins us now, head of Asia Research at Julius Baer, joining Paul Allen in Sydney and me, Brian Curtis. Mark, thanks very much for taking out the time uh, right near the holiday to be with us. So investors are wrestling with a kind of equity conundrum at the moment. The S&P 500 up 26% in 2023, but it was down a similar amount in 2022. So, We're either up a lot or we've gone nowhere in two years. It makes it a little tricky to frame that. How do we frame it?
3: Well, Brian, I think we could look at technicals or we could look at fundamentals. And on the technical side, if we assume the S&P does manage to rise more than half a percent in the next few days, which I think it will, and make a new high... Uh, Then we can just look back in history and see what happened after the S&P made a new high after, you know, a long time of not being at a new high. And so we have data on that going back to 1950. There were 14 times when the S&P made a new high after not having had one for the previous year and in 13 out of those 14 times it was up. both uh, three months later and 12 months later, and returns of 5% and uh, uh, 15% respectively. So the one time that didn't work was the global financial crisis in 2008. I think barring a recession, um, those technicals uh, stand us in good stead. And then just the other thing quickly on fundamentals, we're looking for earnings growth in the S&P of about – 10% this year and next year. Uh, The consensus looks for a similar number. And um, if that's achievable, uh, I just feel the combination of those two things uh, makes it very difficult for the market to go down. Of course, a lot of the gains that we saw in the past 12 months have come from just a handful of stocks. Do you you think the breadth of of strong uh, performance is going to improve in 2024? I hope so, Paul, and uh, of course in the fourth quarter we did see the breadth improving, but I'd like to say two things, if I may, about that. The first is that Yes, the breadth is very concentrated in the S&P right now, in those magnificent seven. But if you look back in history, uh, there's there's no uh, predictive power in weak breadth. In other words, just because the breadth is very concentrated doesn't mean that the market can't go on to have very good returns and, and by the way, remain very concentrated. And the second thing I want to say is we think it will stay concentrated. Uh, I, I'm contradicting myself a little bit because I just said it broadened out a bit in the fourth quarter, maybe that broadening out continues. But if you look at the forecast revenue and profit growth of the Magnificent Seven over the next two years relative to the other 493 stocks in the S&P, it's still much, much higher. And historically, uh, stocks outperform based on their earnings growth. So if they're still going to have high earnings growth,
1: I think they're still going to outperform. I know you like to focus on Asia, and another conundrum, at least for me, is Hong Kong and China. The valuations are quite low. The performance has been really kind of stinky over the past uh, couple of years, really. Uh, But we, we need to look at it and try to determine whether or not this is a cyclical kind of downturn or whether it's really secular, structural in nature. Has something changed permanently, Mark? I think something
3: has, Brian, we have, to, we have to acknowledge that. I think President Xi's number one priority on the economic front is cleaning up the property sector, which um, until recently was the largest sector in the Chinese economy. And he seems very willing to sacrifice growth toward that end. Now, if it ever gets to a stage where it creates a systemic risk then I think he would he would act to prevent that but I do think it's going to be a tough year for the Chinese economy again now having said that to my mind in Asia uh, there is one fantastic way to play the Fed cutting interest rates it is Hong Kong property you rightly mentioned Hong Kong's been through uh, you know stinky few years let me just put a number on stinky the Hong Kong property sector is down 60% from its high in 2019. It's trading on 0.4 times books, so it is extremely cheap. That's less than half the long-term average valuation. And if the Fed does cut rates, uh, let me just say, even especially if it cuts rate aggressively, then of all the places in the emerging world, because of the Hong Kong dollar peg to the US dollar, Hong Kong property has the most direct link to interest rates. Yeah, so I, I, I wonder, look at it.
1: I know, I, and I get that, Mark, and it makes a yeah. lot of sense, but I just wonder whether Hong Kong is just not as special as it used to be. I mean, it's a different place now, right? Uh, and maybe, no, you know, uh, we know that it's very expensive property. You can say, well, it's down, you know, this much, but it started from a very high level, right? I mean, is, is Hong Kong still special in your mind? Yes, it
3: is, because I think that Shanghai will never really be allowed to become the you know, the the financial center that it should be, just for internal political reasons in China. I think Hong Kong has a place. And the second thing I would say is um, that, um, uh, to my mind, this is not, uh, when we're talking about Hong Kong property stocks and their upside in the first half of this year, uh, we're not talking about the Chinese economy. We're talking about the Federal Reserve, and if the Fed cuts aggressively, and And uh, Hong Kong interest rates are are directly linked to U.S. rates and Hong Kong property stocks are down 60%. Uh, To me, this looks like the best trade of the first half of this year.
4: Yeah, Let's talk about the Fed, though. Do you think it's going to cut aggressively or or is it going to be something a little bit more uh, modest? That's
3: certainly what the dots and what some of the Fed speakers are suggesting. Well, Paul, all I'll say is we're looking for GDP growth this year of about one and a half percent, and inflation at about two and a half percent, and we all know the Fed funds rate is is up at five and a half, so it should not be at five and a half. And they need to cut rates before uh, there's something like another banking crisis that happens, like the one that happened uh, in the first half of last year, but also just because at five and a half percent, the Fed funds rate is a serious impediment to growth. So I also think we do have the presidential election coming up in the second half of next year. It makes it you know, more difficult for the Fed to move in the second half of the year. Uh, I think that that there is a fairly narrow window to cut, and that window is in the first half.
1: Okay, so what does that mean for the dollar then? Do you see the dollar declining pretty steadily from here?
3: Uh, Intuitively, it should mean the dollar would be weaker versus, versus most currencies. However, the Fed is not the only central bank that's going to be cutting rates. In fact, we think the ECB is going to move before the Fed. And if you look at uh, all the emerging markets central banks added up, they're now firmly in cutting mode. So um, the only currency I can kind of put my hand
1: on my heart and say that thing should go up This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street.
5: Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple,
1: Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York. Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our
5: flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just
1: say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis.
5: And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day Right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move.